Welcome to Marketproof Marketing, the podcast from the Marketing Minds at DoYouConvert.com, where we talk about the current state of all things digital and how they impact home builders and developers around the globe. We're not here to sell you, we're here to help you and to try and elevate the conversation. I'm Kevin Oakley, and with me today, as always, is the ad doctor, Andrew Peake. We are here, episode 203, with Bryce Baker. Hey, guys. Hey, I never say your last name, but I said it this time, and it felt really strange. (laughs) Only for a little bit longer, huh? It's great. How's yeah, doing? when's that coming up? We have no clue, but no, I think no it's going to be a destination from whatever we do. So at least that we sounds have that amazing. Oh. I fully support mm-hmm. that. If if you need yeah. any support on doing a destination <laughs> wedding, like Andrew said, so like which means absolutely nothing. <laughs> but I think yeah. that's a great idea. I you prioritize yeah. the right thing first, which is the house. Yep, we yeah, did with so, interest okay. rates and I appreciate it. prices yeah. going up. Yeah, you can you pay s- for that wedding. Yeah, with your you got right in no. there with interest rates, like. Timing wise, yeah. your, your equity paid yeah, for your I wedding. There you go. A two point seven five on our interest rate for a yeah. house. So yeah, we we were fortunate too with our refi. Like we were just like, oh, let's look into this, and sure enough, it just like circumstance, it just worked out. And looking mm-hmm. back, I'm like, oh, that was the good. That was a good timing. I had no idea. Like, what am I? Yeah, guessing the market. No, but I'm excited we did. Yeah, that's awesome. All right, story time. And, uh, and quickly, Andrew, I started watching Parks and Rec way better than The Office. Interesting. They're both way like better. the same vibe or category of how they film, right? Yeah. But yeah, I like um, I like Parks and Rec too. We like The Office more, but that's definitely like second place for us. Everyone should watch both of them. <laughs> Plus, right, you know, and then you'll get my NPR reference <laughs> for like the Pony Public Radio. Okay. On to Bryce's story. <laughs> Good. I already jumped the gun first off. So, okay. So I real quick, we are getting a new internet company in the neighborhood. I'm not going to name names, but we had two different ones and one was coming in and they kept on, they were really persistent. They were knocking on our front doors. Like, Hey, giving you an update. Like we're coming in. This is what we're doing. This is the sales we're going to offer. Like this is the packages you can get super, super transparent, super, super great in communication for about two months. And then literally three weeks ago, they moved all their equipment out. They stopped digging in my neighbor's house and they will not answer a single phone call or like tell us where they're at in the process. Like when we might be getting it and like, they will not, you can go up to Verizon, but you can go up and you can ask them like, where, like, what is the process on it? And they, they're like, I'm sorry. Like it's not in this division. Like Uh, can't help you. We don't have an answer. So you slipped and said a hint as to who it is. If we're talking fiber optic cables, is that? Yes. Yeah. So it'd been a really nice upgrade. Okay. And they went to your neighbor's house, like right there next to you. Did my whole entire neighborhood for like solid three months. Like all the equipment was here, like everything. And our neighbor has a big brown box in the front of their like driveway and they stop right to our left. And then there's four houses on to finish our street. And then there's a cul-de-sac around the corner and they just won't come back. But all my neighbors still can't get it because it's not finished. So it's just left there completely. Like we can't get it. I'd be disappointed because that'd be really fast. I'm pretty sure I know what it is. Sounds amazing. I I guess some fiber. Yeah, I know. So I just kind of was bringing it full circle. And I just think like, as for like warranty and customer service and like the sales process and everything like that, that we use in new construction, I think like to be able to, no matter how much we think we're over communicating, I don't know if there's ever too much that we're doing. 
I agree. Solely because like, as I'm sitting here, like I thought it was super annoying that they're hounding me every week, but now that they stopped, I'm like, where are you? Like, what are you guys doing now? So like, we had a relationship. I, just, I don't know. I just was bringing it full circle. Yeah. I, I think that's like a ongoing lesson. If we could, we could probably pull back like three years ago, like you cannot mm-hmm. over communicate anything. If it's like Mm-mm. updates and news and keeping people in the know of what's going on, begging them to buy things from you, I think that can be overcommunicated and and not yeah. good. But the opposite, like you can't give too many frequent updates, even if it's just like a minor minor change because people are wondering. Or just even like telling them like, hey, we haven't forgot about you, and that can still apply in like the warranty aspect of your company as well. So. Yeah, the expectations were set in that relationship. And mm-hmm. I saw someone reference this on the webinar that I did yesterday with Lasno in a question. We didn't have time to, to, to get into it, but the question was essentially, if online sales continues to get more involved, does that set bad expectations about the rest of the company? Because you're going to have this position setting examples of fast response times and personalized interaction. What, what do we think? I, I mean, I'm I'm laughing. If you see my face, I'm laughing and smiling. <laughs> I I think I see I see the concern because one might say like that their job is to over communicate. We build time and their schedules to be able to communicate, have the fastest response times. So there's other mm-hmm. people that like they're tied up for an hour, two hours at a time, where they can't meet those expectations ever. But I think there's also people that might lean on those things as an excuse excuse sounds really mean and harsh, but like they might lean on that too much to be able to like justify like, oh, I had that call Monday, but like now it's Thursday, probably like I'll get back to the person now. Well, that's four days too late. That might be on the mm-hmm. extreme end, but I think we should all try to live up to the like standard and response time as our online sales teams. I don't think we could get there. I don't think that's possible, but we should strive for that. Yeah. I just think it's also like, once you set that expectation of Hey, this is our consistent method of reaching out to you. And then you just go dark on them because you don't have an update or you don't feel like you have any more information that's a valid. They're going to still, the consumer might feel like, Hey, they just stopped. Like why type of conversation? Yeah, it's a palpable change. Team. You can feel it. Even yeah. if you weren't concerned, like maybe you mm-hmm. didn't really care if when that internet service got hooked up or not, but suddenly it just yeah. stopped. It's mm-hmm. like, huh, that's that's interesting what's going on. I'm kind of with you, Andrew. I know everyone talks about wanting to protect their personal time and work-life balance, et cetera. And I just don't know that anyone's position long-term is safe if your mentality is that no. there is, like it's acceptable to wait a day to respond to someone every time. Mm-hmm. I don't think so, especially... I don't know. I, th- I think, yeah, you just set your expectation. That's what it needs to be. There's probably certain positions, very few in the company where like that cannot be their priority. IT, certain people in IT, they cannot be expected to break out of their zone. If they're the ones actually coding, programming, strategizing mm-hmm. in that mindset, totally different. But then in that case, they need a liaison in place with the rest of the company to where those people are not having direct access with people. Like they're not client facing, internal client facing. So it's just the setup could be wrong if they're wrong. Those people are. Yeah, I, I think they have those expectations. It's, I think where I'm going is you think about someone working in warranty for a home builder. Oh, okay. Yeah, they need to I be think, like. And this might be too. Um, what's the word when you're just thinking too much at a high level? I don't know. 
You're like, Obviously, I don't have the problem because I can't think of the I word. Like you're so just it must not, it must not apply. <laughs> overanalyzing. I don't know. There you um, go. There we go. But yeah. you're, I'm going to split hairs here. Your job in warranty is different than the goal, the end goal when it comes to the customer's interaction with you. The end goal is to resolve whatever issue has gone wrong with the house. But mm -hmm. that ain't your job. Your job is to make sure the customer feels comfortable and informed with the progress towards the goal. And that's, I think yeah. that's the same that in construction. Sense. Like your job is yeah. not just to make sure the trade shows up and that they hammer in the right spot and cut the right thing. Your job is bigger than that. And I think companies that have teams of people who work together in that same understanding versus, again, I, and I don't know the context of this person's question, but someone like, I can't believe that customer expects me to call them back this afternoon. Those darn online salespeople setting bad expectations. I don't, I don't think that's the world we're moving towards if we're can't not already them. there. Oh, yeah. Opposite. Opposite. Especially you think about the, I feel like we've said some of these things before, the emotion involved on purchase the uncertainty of you're in your home that just cost $600,000 and these things are wrong with it. And you're still writing that mortgage payment every month. You still purchased it and it's not working correctly or it's broken or I haven't heard from anybody in a week. And then what happens, I think, at least in our experience, we've had this, we go back to our online salesperson who will answer a text message, who will answer a phone call and then they fix it. That shouldn't, they shouldn't have that pressure, even though most and that's why they're amazing at their job. They will do it because they want to make sure everyone is happy and satisfied with what, what they did purchase. Absolutely. This is, um, I guess I, I can make this my story time and go ahead first. I, I had a couple there other things. Well, I'll just talk about fun stuff later, but I think this is relevant. Okay. Beth Russell uh, from Stylecraft Homes posted this on LinkedIn a while ago. She said the best piece of career advice she ever received was from someone who said, make yourself irreplaceable. Upon further reflection over the past years, as I applied his words as a driving force in my career, I realized why he said this to me. He didn't say it because I needed to deliver an unparalleled performance, meaning the goal, like the end goal that I was talking about mm -hmm. with warranty. He didn't say it because I needed to step up my game or focus on achievements and perfection. He didn't say this to create an egotistical monster who took credit for everything and pushed off losses to someone else. He said this as a subtle reminder that making yourself irreplaceable isn't about what you deliver, it's about who you are. Be a leader, a friend, a coach. Don't be a gatekeeper of ideas. Share your knowledge with passion. Be humble. Surround yourself with people who are smarter than you. Learn from them. Absorb their energy. Take responsibility for mistakes. Be loyal, compassionate, work hard, and stay dedicated. Set the example, the tone, and she goes on. But that's what I'm talking about is the, the idea of when she's saying be irreplaceable, the correlation to my own career was be the person who solves problems, whether it's part of your department's role or not in air quotes. Mm -hmm. My goal at Heartland, my goal at Miranda, my goal leading the two divisions at NVR was be the person that anyone in the company would come to and say, I've got a problem. Can you help? That's, that was yep. my definition of being irreplaceable. And if I said, take a number, I'll call you next week. I'm too busy. Yeah. Um, so I, again, I'm also not advocating for hustle culture and and all the rest, the goal should always be to find something that you enjoy doing so much that when money shows up in your bank account, you're like, oh, they, they pay me for this. That's awesome. I'm glad, I'm glad, but it's not, it's not why I'm doing it. Cause otherwise you're going to always have that reaction like that. That's if I had to dig into the person who is concerned about that expectation setting, it's like, I don't know if you're really super happy with what you're doing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I agree. Or the yeah. setup. 
yeah, there could be a lot of things. The culture. Think about a of, successful of real estate agent, Andrew. I mean, our, our friend Sean Carpenter yeah. is successful because, and it's my birthday. Mm-hmm. He's he's the only person who sent me. Oh, no, that's not true. Rachel from Red Door of North Carolina sent me one as well. Got mm-hmm. two video messages. Um, but Sean, as a real estate agent, is like always responsive, always on it. It's what he enjoys doing. That's why he's done it so so many so many Sounds years. like so. that's what a real estate agent should be. Like mm-hmm. the most responsive yeah. person that cares about the people they're connected with. Yep. All right, Andrew, what do you got? I got it. I have a riddle for everybody. Live riddle, live problem solving. So I've been mm-hmm. troubleshooting this Excel file in front of me, combining it with analytics and then conversation. And I'm like, okay, I think other people are going to be in this position. So let's talk about it on the podcast. So I'm leaving names out, but I'll give some stats here and that will give us a runway to take off from. There's my analogy of an airplane. So leads are up 2021 versus 2022, 12%. We have more leads this year. This is January, February, March of this year versus January, February, March of last year. And we're not talking about the market as a whole. We're talking about this particular builder. Just this builder. We're just looking at this builder right here. 12% 12% more leads, some things to add to that. They should be of higher quality based on strategy in place. In theory, everything is higher quality leads. Appointments are down 14%. And then sales are down 35%. We have more leads. In theory, everything in place compared to last year should indicate that they're higher quality leads as far as how we're getting those leads. But appointments are down and then sales appointments, 14% down sales, 35% down. Any thoughts or do, do we need more info, need more context on here that I could give on the podcast? No. I mean, the, so the leads are higher quality appointments are down and sales are down. Yeah. My hunches prices have gone up. Start times have been further delayed. Completion dates are never guaranteed. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, there, there's something yeah. internally in the process of that organization or their local market. But my hunch is if it was market wide, you'd see that in the lead count, not in appointments and sales. That's my initial mm-hmm. seeing that's nothing. Fine. Only numbers you're giving me. That's my initial <laughs> thoughts. <laughs> yeah. Give me three metrics and that's it. And maybe hey, like, that's better than one. That's better than most that's people. That's better than one. Bryce, same, same thoughts on there? Yeah, same thoughts. Um, I would be interested to know like the difference between the appointment conversion versus the appointment or I mean the conversion to appointment online. So, Oh, gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. And that was my kind of like next set of questions is like, and as to me, I'd be like, okay, so sales has had the strongest decrease. So there has to be some really yeah. nice info from sales. Is that being passed backwards to marketing appointments are down by 15%. So quite a large number. Do we have any feedback from online sales team? Like that's where it's, that's yeah. where I'm seeing the opportunity to try to fix this. I think, do you think a lot of marketing as the year goes on, like marketing will be in this position where like, we got plenty of leads, but everyone's looking at me because we're the, the quickest usually to solve problems. We've had the reputation of, hey, we can solve things, which I think this could, I'm theorizing and just speculating in the future, like this type of data could put marketing in like, not a bind, but like put a lot of pressure on them when maybe that, how do they like help themselves? Like the pressure shouldn't be on us. We're doing everything we can. Everything's maxed out. What do we do? Help me. Yeah. Save me, Batman. Kevin's favorite thing is everything's always marketing's fault, right? Yeah. So uh, we're you're, always, you said it before. Yeah. I had, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this way it works. And it is. It, it's no. in that. At least right? I said it. I gave you the credit for it. <laughs> right. You, um, you always have to, it's actually a healthy tension. You need a shirt made for that, by the way. Say. Everything's always marketing's fault. 
I would say it's a healthy tension because it doesn't matter how many leads are created if sales don't happen. So mm-hmm. again, just a, just a subtle reminder that don't you ever, ever, ever say, well, there's enough leads. So there, like I'm done with my mm-hmm. part because there's enough leads. Yeah, that'd be uh, bad. It is your job to keep digging in and try to figure out why. You don't have to solve it, but you have to be able to make suggestions. Again, depending on how much street credibility you have within your own organization is going to depend on how far you go. My first, second year at Heartland, it was like, hey, do we think it could be this or this? And then the experts in the room who'd been there forever would say, oh, yeah, it's that one. Or it seems like it's that one. Options. Options, too. I feel like leadership always likes to be able to have like A or B. Okay, maybe it's A. Like, let's go that revenue first. Like, they like to be able to think that they can answer the question. I, I, th- I thought you were doing a trickaroo on me, Andrew, because there's thought- no trick. It was, it's almost a riddle because like, no, 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 like saying- it's always well, a- is it the leads fault. Leads are only okay. up 12%. Like maybe they should have been 20 or 30%. And that could have like, we could be like maybe 10% less. Well, my sales. follow-up question in case it was a trick question was going to be, maybe there is no issue because they still hit their sales goal or exceeded their sales maybe goal by 10%. Goal. Yeah. And the other things I'd want to know in marketing, and I don't know if I don't, it, it definitely depends on the builder. If you know this, like where are the price points weighted as far as like maybe last year, 50% of what you had offered was in the 400 to 600. Yep. Now 50% is in the 650 to 850 or what, oh. like different numbers. Like where are you like at a vision, like a graph where it's like, oh, our whole average price point is now actually 300,000 higher or whatever it may be. Yeah. I think the so other thing you have to analyze along with that is, are all the leads for communities where you're not releasing homes are all the leads for coming soon communities mm-hmm. that you can't get a sale for yet, mm-hmm. but you a reminder, you, you can never completely control the customer. So yep. the customer is mm-hmm. going to find and become a, a lead ultimately for the community or home that they want to become a lead or uh, for, and that might end up being the ones that are on sales caps versus the ones that, you know, you initially ran an ad at a lower price point that caught their interest, but then, they found a community of their dreams and it's on a sales cap. And so you can't get an appointment or a sale schedule. And would you, would you say, and maybe this is obvious, like it kind of is likely that it's the ones with a sales cap, because if there's a sales cap, demand is exceeding capacity for actually yeah. building or, yeah. or releasing. So yep. there's plenty of people. So it's going to keep, everyone wants that. Everyone wants that. So we have to cap it. Yes. Mm-hmm. So. And that is why. like I heard that somewhere or did you, did you play that on the piano? <laughs> that, that, that's why the more, you know, that's why you, you ideally always want to have the market proof algorithm set up at the community level. Because the other part of this conversation is we shouldn't be looking at this overall. We should be looking at this at the community level. And then at the community level, that sheet would have been telling you that you actually don't need a 15% increase in leads. You need a 30% increase because the conversion rate historically mm-hmm. at that community is this poor. Mm-hmm. So if you're just running averages, expect average performance, which, hey, sometimes mm-hmm. the last two years, average has been A-OK. Yeah, but as been, you start trying insanity. to get from from average to great as an organization, you got to be looking at the stuff at the community level and, and letting the math speak for itself there. I would agree. Accuracy of problem solving. It has to be there. At yep. the community level. Yeah. That's, that's a really good way of saying it. Um, also, just a random, really good quote that uh, I picked up from my middle schooler, actually. She, she shared it oh. with me, and I, I had Aww. heard it before, but I, I love the fact that she shared it. I think it's from, um, I think it's Max, not Max Lucado. <laughs> uh, some, some, well, I don't know who it is. But the, the quote was that being humble 
means um, thinking about yourself less, not thinking less of yourself. Oh, that was pretty good. Um, That's good. You know, you don't you don't have to denigrate your ability to to be humble in your organization. You know, I always talk about marketing being a servant leadership position. Your job is to make sure everyone else in the company is looking good while solving problems, but not necessarily taking the spotlight. That doesn't mean you mm-hmm. have to be negative on yourself or or talk yourself down at all uh, in the organization. Just it just means that your focus isn't on yourself. All right. And quick googling that was by C.S. Lewis. I think that's one misattributed. Of, oh, maybe it was. I think one of the most Sounds quoted like a, people by every preacher in the world, it feels like. Um, yeah. 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 Also one of the most misquoted people ever. Um, <laughs> but one is my favorite author of all time. So I'll take it. Great. All yeah. right. The fun items from my story time that are left, because I don't want to take too much time on, on other things. I was going to talk about economy stuff, but go listen to an economist. Uh, go check out what Allie Wolf is saying or, or Zellman or somebody <laughs> else. Instead, just building a new house, one of my ultimate goals was to have a, a lot of smart home technology in it. And originally, I was going to have the electrician put in my switches for me ahead of time. That didn't end up happening because of the pandemic and delays and everything. So kind of a silver lining here is that I was able to take even more time doing more research on what I wanted in the house. And I came across a company that I, hadn't, I was not aware of until I saw a video highlighting them at CES. And it's a company called Brilliant. Okay. And the two main things that make this awesome, and we'll put a link in the show notes. It's not an affiliate link, not making any money off this. I just think it's really cool. It essentially puts a small cell phone on your wall. So you might have a bank of one, two, three, or four switches, and you can replace it with a cell phone size screen and then little dimmer sliders. Uh, And you can just touch the slider, turn the light on or off, or you can hold and adjust So it makes every light that you put on it a dimmable light, assuming that it can be dimmed. And then um, those are obviously are more expensive. They range, I think, from $200 to $400, depending on how many switches you're replacing. So you don't want to put those everywhere. But that that is like the brains of the house. Okay. Uh, And you can control on that cell phone size screen everything in the home. And it works with with Amazon. It works with HomeKit. It works with uh, Google Home. It works with all the different services. So it can, it can work with anything else that it finds on the network pretty much. And then cool. you can also get standalone switches that don't have the screen much less expensive, but every one of those switches has a built-in motion sensor and is dimmable as well. Interesting. And it's just freaking awesome. Like, um, so, so, so are you able to like turn all your lights off and by like controlling it in your master bedroom? Yes. Yeah, so you can, like, you can you want to turn off all the lights in the house. Yeah. Again, you tap the light to turn it on, hold it and move to dim. Or if you double tap, you can, you can tell it to do anything you want it to by each switch. So you could just dedicate two different switches in different points of your home. Or if you double tap, it just shuts, shuts off every light except for one for, for safety or security. Um, it's, it's freaking awesome. And then the bonus is in the, in the control boxes that have the screen, it also has a camera and microphone with a privacy thing that you can turn off. And there's lots of rules about who can and can't use it, but it also creates a video intercom system throughout the house. That'd be convenient everywhere that you have those. And this is, this is a small thing, but if you have a video doorbell, the video shows up on every one of those screens as well. So no matter where you are in the house, even if you don't have your phone, cause my wife never has her phone, That's which funny. is why I'm glad <laughs> Apple invented the watch. But if she wants to talk to someone, on on the on the ring doorbell she can do it from 
you know, whichever control box is closest to her. Um, they also have switches, but it's just a fantastic system. Extremely easy to self wire too. Um, other ones I've had, you know, I, I, I wasn't sure what I was doing, but the control boxes anyway, it doesn't matter if it's a red wire or a black wire, where it goes, you just plug it in, it can sense it. And that's the other thing is a lot of times it'll ask you that what kind of light do you have? What is the wattage? What mm -hmm. all these electric like, electrical questions. And it's like, <laughs> you can just keep hitting, I don't know. And it will automatically sense whether it's a dimmable light or not. It'll adjust it to the minimal level oh, of dimming where okay. it doesn't flicker. It's just a really cool system. So I, th I think what made this makes sense to me. This essentially connects everything in your home to a central thing, regardless of brand, as long as it's something Pretty much. work with. So you could buy like, yeah. oh, okay, um, looking at their site, Wemo. I have uh -huh. 15 Wemo light switches already. You right. can buy this and it still mm -hmm. works with it. And then you connect your ring camera to it. You could connect Google Nest to it. Yep. Everything connects mm -hmm. to this thing. Sono speakers, it can control sound, it can control security, uh, it can control uh, AC. So it is the hub. If you're familiar with other systems, you have to have a hub, hub somewhere and they're talking. The controls with the screens are the hubs. And the really fun part, like we're going to leave for spring break on Sunday. And I'm gonna, just going to change the, the image that shows up on all those screens. The kids will think this is awesome. It's not awesome. But I'll just change it to like, today's the day we're heading out with a picture of an airplane or something. Nice. Um, you know, uh -huh. you can customize it for people's birthdays and super easy in the app to adjust. You can upload. Can you only 20. have one hub? Uh, no, you can have as many of those moves you want. They're just more expensive. Okay. Yeah. Upstairs, downstairs, yeah. kitchen. Yeah. And it, it can go on your phone okay. too. It looks like the app can. You yes, put it you there? can. And so just like you got those cameras so, yeah. then, which can function as security cameras. If you're gone, you can intercom anywhere in the house while you're gone from the app as well. Really cool system. That's uh, so cool. that, that's the, the one thing that we're almost done swapping out most of those in the house. And it's, it's nice. So now we're building scenes and I can have it automate that, uh, 10 minutes before sunset, I can have, you know, preset lighting, uh, like mood lighting in the kitchen and the living room for, for when it's dark outside versus normal lights and, and all that stuff. The nice. main thing is the motion sensor is everywhere. So the, I just have it set in most rooms. Yeah. If you're, if you leave 30 minutes later, it's gone, uh, turns off. And then, um, That's a good idea. definitely the luxury, option for us that we splurged for was selfie powered um, blinds and they have uh, little remotes but they also work on an app and so my favorite thing is when it's time to wake the kids upstairs is i just I, I open up their blinds and the sun streams in on their faces and they scream dad stop it stop now does this connect to the hub we were just talking about uh, i don't know actually i need to check it didn't self-discover it Okay. But I bet I can add it There's in. Uh, so anyway. the hub also works with um, if this, then that, which is like a universal connector of, of it's like an API for smart home products. So the answer would be yes. Yes. That'd be cool. But something to check out <laughs> and we're becoming like a, a tech there product. Go. Were the blinds podcast. like one of the, you said it was mm -hmm. luxury purchase, like, but I, I think you, had, you mentioned a while ago, like some windows, like you're like, I kind of have to have something that's powered yeah was well, that, that was the one of the things i mean the the downside of the builder suggesting the size windows we have is that there's no way that anyone but me would be able to lower and raise the blinds all the way i mean our first floor has 10 foot ceilings and the windows go like all the uh, way uh, up. almost a foot and a half <laughs> from the, the ceiling <laughs> there we go. and then you've got, got a bank tall. of four windows of that size together like that's oh just a freaking huge blind. And so the, the big win for <laughs> us was in bedrooms where there's two or three windows connected together. My <laughs> wife is like, has to be, has to sleep in a complete cave with no noise and total darkness. So to not to just have a single shade, of course you still get, you know, like you can see behind me here, guys, that you still get light on, yes. the, on the sides. 
but there's only one of those on each end versus having four separate blinds or three mm -hmm. separate blinds. Yeah. A lot more light gets in the room. So it ultimately ends up being not bad at all. So well worth it. Well worth it. It sounds like. Yeah. Nice. Add it to your list. So yeah, that's, that's the update. And then of course I have all the lights in my studio are connected via Bluetooth as well. So I can control all that from my phone. So we're getting there. Nice. We're getting there. You're like that's the awesome. carousel of progress at the end of Walt <laughs> Disney World. <laughs> we're we're <Yes>. there. It's <laughs> 2022. Right. Although I don't know what year Finish. or if they changed the year on that thing every time to be what year that was. Um, <laughs> okay. Enough uh, distractions for me. <laughs> oh, and for those following along, our basement is now totally put back together from the flood that happened like a week and a half after we moved in. So <laughs> nice. Our home is finally too, right? Yeah. Flooring's back. We got our couch delivered yesterday. Oh, man. Oh my goodness, everything falling together for you. Speaking of progress, we should take a listen about this little note from our, our fantastic partners at Open Door. <laughs> I love this music. Connect your customer with Open Door and they'll get preliminary offers within minutes. They'll close on their home and you close a sale. Plus, you can track the entire process with ease by using your personal custom referral link. Go to opendoor.com forward slash do you convert to learn more about how you can partner with Open Door. All right, on to the news. First up, uh, four or no, not four tickets left. Ha, they're not even on sale yet. The oh tickets for <laughs> this year's online sales and marketing summit will be released on April 14th to those on the VIP list. We already have Ooh. over 150 people on that list since the email went out earlier this That's week. Awesome. So be sure to get on that list so that you get first access to tickets. And I think I could be promo-y a little bit. I had a few messages like, I'm buying tickets for the whole team. I'm buying tickets for the whole team. Yeah, that mm -hmm. was, um, so I, like, oh, I don't know awesome. where that's coming from. I but don't, I got, I got some of those same. A lot of people. Um, yeah. We probably have similar people messaging yeah, us. We need to talkative. tell those people not to do that uh, not nicely because we always, we always end up having to, to tell people that we're sold out. And if, yeah. and here, here's, here's a too much inside baseball. So it'll be fast. It's really hard to pick venues that can hold more than 200 people because you're talking about a whole other level of expense and commitment on our end. Mm -hmm. And there's not much of a, like, there's not a lot of venues where it's like, you just go up to 300. It's like, you go from 200 with the projector and everything in the room set up the way you want it. You go from 200 to like, now we have to go to 500. So it's, I mean, we're yeah. going to, we're going to get as many people in as we can, but don't bring 10 people, bring three people and tell them to take great notes and pictures and yep. uh, sh share the results back. Uh, that, that, yeah, that, that kind of scared me when people said that, but uh, if you yep. want to avoid that, just sign up as a VIP and you should be fine uh, to get tickets. We'll do the public release a couple weeks after the 14th with whatever. Plenty of communication on. Yeah. It's closer. It's like when we went to the post office today to get our passports renewed and um, we're going to Guatemala in 10 and a half weeks. And she's like, nice. do you want to pay for the expedited whatever? And both parents had to be there. So we were both there because yeah. we had to get our kids renewed. And she's like, it's $60 per passport. And my wife's like, absolutely not. That's ridiculous. I go, eh, but we're going to leave. You know, She said it would take 10 to 12 weeks to get in. I'm like, we, can't, we can't risk it. And also it's our own, it's our own fault. You're like, those, those forms have been sitting on the counter in the, in the kitchen for yeah. two months. Like yeah. we're paying a fee because of our own stupidity. So yeah. sign up for the VIP list. Don't Stupid blame text. us if yeah. you, uh, only 20 days. 
That's all you have to wait. Just yeah, it's crazy to me. Yeah, twenty days. It's awesome. Can't believe it's right around the corner. And then I'm going to change order, guys, on the news because I want to talk about from SearchEngineLand.com, Google to Sunset, Universal Analytics on July 1st, 2023. Oh boy! In favor of GA4. It's time for search marketers to shake off the inertia and adopt Google Analytics 4. Here we go. Here we go. It's it's, <laughs> it's nothing to be scared of. Um, Google is uh, so. So let's talk about the realities of the situation. Google is pretty famous for not enforcing deadlines when they initially set out deadlines. Yeah. So it's probably not going to end up being July first of twenty twenty three. It'll be later. However. The way to think about this is that the first day that you get this set up and running is the first day that you're going to have year-over-year data to look at, to compare. And that's always one of the things we want to be able to do to try to take out seasonality as much as we can in our business. So at the very minimum, make sure you've got GA4 set up and are, and are getting data in. And um, we spot checked, I think all but three of our uh, 65 builders or so have everything working well. But the three that don't, it's set. It's been set up, but the data flowing in is a little bit different than in Universal. And by little, we mean like eighty percent different. <laughs> yeah, it's it's definitely quirky. Um, uh, and, and we think we we think you've identified um, none of those are uh, O'Neill Interactive uh, Homefinity builders. There are other partners mm-hmm. who have had at times issues with Tag Manager or implementation of other. Um, bits of code. So it may be finicky with that. We'll keep troubleshooting. Just make sure you have it in. And then I would say we will ultimately put together a guide on this uh, in a couple months from now for pu- for public consumption. But in the meantime, turn it on, make sure it's getting the data and that the data is reasonably close to, in terms of visitor count, et cetera, your, your universal account. And I think else? this is a good time to add, if you're not using Google Tag Manager, use Google Tag Manager. And I'm I have some confidence that that will fix any quirkiness because then you're depending on Google to keep your tag up to date. Like when you create yep. Google Tag Manager and you add all this stuff, if you're not familiar with it, I won't use the terms. Yeah, you had to code to the site, then you create a container, like all these little things. You no longer have to update your Google Analytics tag if they do anything. Like that's all in Google. They do it for you. It's, it's really nice. I think that could be one of the quirky issues. Yep. And then when you install it, it gives Google like the control as far as like, oh, we actually want this stuff going on down here, beneath the body, in the head, et cetera. So good time to do that if you're not doing it anyways. Like, And this is your excuse. I have to do it this time if IT was giving any pushback for whatever reason or if you just did not want to tackle it. So yeah. go ahead and tackle it. Get it done. And in the Facebook group, someone already asked about, what do I need to do? What do I need to change? And Dennis O'Neill hopped in again with O'Neill Interactive and Homefinity and said, well, if you're a Homefinity builder, we'll have you taken care of. Um, more to come on that, so you can rest easy there on that end. The, I think the main concept here to understand moving forward and why I wanted to change the order of the news stories is um, Universal Analytics was trying to be all things to marketers, and now um, Google's trying to specialize with the products moving forward. So Google Analytics 4 is where you um, get in the data. It's going to be much more event-driven, mm-hmm. a lot more um, granular data, but no no personally identifiable information. So it's keeping them uh, compliant with with all that stuff. Tag manager is how you manipulate and set up. And then visualization, which is a weak spot. Uh, So so Google Analytics 4 does have 
nicer looking charts and graphs, but it's all about more what what Andrew and people like Andrew are thinking about is like, what what can I do based upon this information? It's not just information mm -hmm. in its raw form just to look at. And they really want you to be using Data Studio to create your basic reports and to use, this might be too strong, but almost to think about using GA4 as like your Power BI implementation of, we're gonna look at, analyze, and make suggestions on your data and what should be done in the hopes that you'll let our automation go forward through Google ads and other places to make ultimately Google more money. Yeah, um, I agree. And I, I think this paragraph of the article is really good is J4 differs from its predecessor in that it operates across platforms, does not rely on cookies and uses event-based data models for measurement. It also does not store IP addresses. We can help brands stay on the right side of privacy regulations. Um, so yeah, does not rely on cookies is really interesting. So we should be getting more and better and accurate data. Yep. Yeah. Should. Yep. Yeah. So since we already talked about the need to make sure you understand how to use Data Studio, uh, then I thought we'd hop over to Sarah's um, fantastic article published on March 22nd, four tips to make your yeah, Data Studio right. reports interactive. Ooh. She's such an awesome teacher. Like even just typing, she has it all laid out. She's so awesome. <laughs> my, my favorite one like, is so great. Like, if you read it and you only do one thing is the uh, report wide um, report level date control. So if you have mm -hmm. like five pages, boom, use this one. Yeah. 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 So, you know, first up is date controls. So making sure that you're, you're not, you're giving the people who are viewing your reports, the ability to adjust the dates. That's, that's really important for most people to be able to do that, especially marketers uh, or people making marketing decisions. If you're just going to use it as a pure dashboard and you want to keep people focused, maybe you're not going to do that. For, but most cases, you're going to want to put in date controls to allow people to mani manipulate that on their own. Uh, creating drop-down menus and then using what people select in that menu is also really important. So she uses the example, if you're using analytics data source, you can create a drop-down using the source dimension. And then it allows users to filter the data on your report by users that had a source of social, Google, or Zillow specifically. So instead of having to build out multiple pages or multiple different dashboards mm -hmm. or, or graphs, you can have a single graph that can be manipulated through a drop-down menu. Uh, advanced filters, uh, that one you should go read on the blog post because it is more advanced and lots of steps. Yeah, but it, it feels like <laughs> analytics where you could set up on the right side, there's the advanced filter box and you pick how it's filtering. Mm -hmm. It's like that if you're familiar with it. Yep. And then you can um, have a toggle on and off for optional metrics. There's lots of different ways to make uh, Data Studio more interactive and more usable. Uh, because again, and this this is, we'll see how it pans out, but you've heard mm -hmm. uh, me say for a decade or so now, like you want to create dashboards, but then when you go to solve the problem, you leave the dashboard and you go into analytics or the actual tool that you're using. And Google's goal with GA4 is to say, uh, use Data Studio for that, <laughs> which means the Data Studio reports have to get more interactive. So good timing, Sarah. Yeah, and also in that article, there's linking back to two other articles I think she's read in in reference to Data Studio. So if you're yeah. new and just starting as well, um, you can utilize that article to get to other ones. As well. Yeah, she's she's uh, creating a, a book via one, one blog post at a time, it looks like, on Data Studio. <laughs> Next Perfect. up from Twitter.com, 
a 16 thread post by Glenn Kelman that has lots of really interesting things. Go check it out in the show notes. It's going to hopefully get some of you back on Twitter or in Twitter, but hopefully not too many of you. Cause I still like uh, the relatively small number. It of is people quiet who, in the building world, isn't it? I love it as far as that's why I love it. Yeah. It's not Facebook. Yeah. It's, it's just quiet. a super building nerds in there hanging out together. Um, I, I lurk in there. <laughs> I think what uh, <laughs> you lurk, who, who's lurking? I lurk in the Twitter hmm. in the Twitters. I just, <laughs> yeah, I, I just, I this like last pictures. week was when I start, I've started using Twitter more to get preliminary information on news than any major news site. It's kind of interesting that I've I finally crossed over to that, that, that part of life it does require more filtering because there's crazy people out there, but um, it Lots does tend to people. be yeah. a couple of hours ahead of whatever is actually reported. Yeah. Okay. So some really interesting things that Glenn talks about here uh, that I'll pick out and you guys can share any others is he says year to date, the number of new listings is down, but only down 6%. So the number of homes coming on the market is only down 6%. Now, remember though, last year was also not a strong year for new listings. So Mm -hmm. just if you compare that to 2018, it's dramatically down. It's not only down 6%, but his point is still true. It's only down 6%. The average number of homes for sale is down much more, 24. The amount of food being served is nearly the same. It's just being eaten much faster. So as homes come on the market, they are not sticking around very long at all. And so even though the number of homes being added is roughly the same, we still have a net decrease of homes uh, that's much larger. And his point is, it's not just the demand is stronger, tech made it faster. This tech includes Redfin's app, a DoorDash for touring and even buying houses. The time it takes us to notify a customer about a new listing, schedule a tour, then write an offer is measured now in minutes. Even when the market cools down, it may not slow down. Good homes will sell in a weekend. The rest will be discounted after two. Pundits gauge our impact on commissions, which in 30 years, the average commission fell from 6.1 to 4.9. Brokers are a bit cheaper, but a lot faster. A lifestyle gig is now 24 seven. So yeah. it's just lots of interesting there's, there's takeaways from, from, from Glenn. He's always one to watch on Twitter. Yeah. I think my favorite one is another misconception, rising rates affect home buyers more than owners, limiting demand, not supply, but the monthly payment for a medium price us home with a 2.65 mortgage is 1265. That home will rent for 1900. Many would be sellers would rather bank the nineteen, the six hundred dollars. In other words, if you bought a home and you get this nice interest rate, you're going to really think about should I list this or not. Being that I could rent it at the current rentals right now and have a really nice spread between what you're paying your mortgage for and then what it could rent for. Shoot, even mm-hmm. now, like we, if we, uh, we have nowhere to go, but like our house, we were in that scenario. Like, would we sell this thing? Like, we could like rent is crazy high right now. Like. Let's yeah, just go, go live on the beach and we could like, we might break even. Let's a do different, it. Uh, Change pace. Another frequent Twitter user, John Burns, uh, shared that large investors, those who own 10 or more homes, purchase 6% of homes in the country in January. Small investors, those who own less than 10 homes, purchase 27%. So the total investor share of all sales was 33% in January, and that's 5% larger than the average over the last decades. So a lot more people do have more than one home. And Mm -hmm. so that's was going to be part of my econ talk. We don't have to go all the way back there. Even if interest rates continue to rise, that's probably going to make, um, to Glenn's point, the likelihood that they will put that home on the market and lose that really low interest rate lower. 
which might ultimately mean that if rates go meaningfully higher, even from here, fewer people might put their home on the market at all. And then that, that might mean that the only place to get a home, which is already true in a lot of cases, mm -hmm. is new construction. Yeah, it's positive. We should have like clapping right now. Yeah, well, there, it is positive. Yeah. There's just no way to it's, know right now. It's, yeah, it's not proven. It's where not. it's going to go. There, there just yeah. isn't. Yeah. We have to we have to keep watching and listening and paying attention. But I, I think at, right at this moment, anyone who says they know exactly how the rest of this year and next year are going to play out, they they really don't have yeah. any clue. But go check out that thread. Glenn's a fantastic guy. Um, we've gone back and forth a couple times on Twitter which has been a lot of fun. Next up from CNBC.com, mortgage rates are surging faster than expected, prompting economists to lower their home sales forecasts. Uh, I mean, it, it's surging pretty quickly. I feel like it was only a week or two ago that we were talking about getting to 4%, and now 4.5 is pretty- I'm close to five now. Yeah, 4.5 is pretty average for those uh, mortgage mm -hmm. companies trying to be more aggressive, but- if you just go in to Google and type in 30-year fixed rate mortgage, in most states, it's going to show you numbers that are at or really close to 5%. Insane. And, and, and the quote yeah. here, it says, rates have a small chance to top out before hitting 5 and a good chance of topping out before hitting 6. I mean, 6% mm -hmm. now, like we're getting back to a long time ago rates. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I just did Florida 300K, 20% down, 700 and 719 credit score. Yeah. It's kind of normal. 5.125. So that's wow. that's interesting. But you still, if you if you are having to move or if you are renting and you have mm -hmm. to renew your lease and you're faced with a rent increase, there's still you still are making choices regardless of what a percent shows. It's still what you can afford monthly. Right. So you mm -hmm. might not like the interest rate or say a year from now, they've seen interest rates are five to five and a half or five to six, even mm -hmm. like you're still have what you make per month, what you can afford renting or buying regardless. And if you're, you're, if you're renting, it renews every month. So like those people are still having yeah. to do something. It's the ones that it renews and it also and can increase every year. Yeah. Like it can I've go up $400, rent. $300, yeah, exactly. $800 um, yeah. mm -hmm. demand. But then you have the people like we just talked about, like, say me, we're, we're at, we're at a nice range. We just got lucky refinancing. Mm -hmm. Just, well, let's see what we could do. Oh, cool. Let's do that. Like for us, like we might be like, oh, geez, like we really have to love that lifestyle we could get that's being promised and sold to us to move over to that yeah. community if you and think, have a higher, a higher rate. I always, just cause maybe I'm not as creative as I would like to think I am. I have to think about it in the, fr in the, in the frame of an actual story. So if Kevin and Melanie Oakley, uh, 10 years ago have two kids and a third is on the way and we need mm -hmm. another bedroom, aren't we more than likely to say we could rent our house for double our monthly payment and then look for another house? But then it goes back to just not enough houses being available. Yeah. Especially um, for you with two kids. Like I'm just looking, I know my area you put in like, like the first move up home, like you're like, there's nothing here. Like, and maybe I'm like our spot is area because it's special because there's not much land, but like we have to look at new construction a little bit farther mm -hmm. outside the city. Um, mm -hmm. And then the prices are like, oh, interest rates higher, but like that's almost that home over here would be 300,000 more. But if we go over an hour that way, look what we get for the value. So it'd be interesting if this still pushes 
communities farther away from city center. People are working remote. Hopefully that stays a strong trend and people aren't trying to get forced back into an office because that will push demand like, oh, we could be a little bit farther and look how much more we could get for the money. Or like we feel like the value is there outside a little bit further. Yeah. I also think what's crazy is like we're sitting here saying that creeping into the fives is the conversation we're having in 2020, but in 2018, that was a norm. So mm-hmm. we're yeah. just, it's going back full circle. We're just yeah. getting over that hump of 2020, 2021, creeping in the beginning of 2022, where that was not the case and even home building. Do, do yourself a favor though. Just don't go back and look at what homes cost in 2018 compared to now. No. <laughs> that's yeah, the, don't do that. <laughs> That'd be a little heart attack. Yeah. That's yeah. yeah don't, don't do that. But yeah, um, yeah, you, you kind of have this, I don't know if it's a theory or just something you said, Kevin, like it takes like two to three weeks for people to get used to something. Like whether that was like, we think back to like March, mid-March, mm-hmm. COVID started, Disney World shut down. That was like three, four weeks later. Boom, demand shot right back up when we were kind of back to normal mm-hmm. as far as selling. Life was not normal, but like looking at the chart, you're like, look, people people want houses, people want houses. And then different events, even like things going on now that are terrible. Like I think mentally a lot of people are kind of used to like, oh, that's been on the news now for like three weeks now. Okay, I'm used to it. Um, so I could see yeah rates being similar, even though it changes what you can afford, but in a month and a half, say it stays at 5.1 or whatever number it is now. But yeah. That's what it is. Yeah. Well, and again, to try to put all these pieces and I guess the economic talk is unavoidable because, you know, Ivy Zellman, uh, when I talked with her and she was saying, Hey, the challenge is going to be a little bit further down the road, but she and her team really feel that we are potentially already building too many homes. And people go back and say, no, 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 look at the demographics. And she's like, yeah, demographics, there's there's fewer people in the world than there used to be. The, 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 so demographics aren't necessarily helpful, but then they look at the supply and demand. But if 33% of the supply is going towards a second home, that's not helping the demand of people who, like you don't need in the same way yeah. a second home, second home as yeah. the people who need a primary home. So if that 33% disappears... Right. Because of ex- exceptionally high interest rates, making a second home less affordable, which that's why Picasso is out there trying to say, let's just pay for an eighth then, and and um, <laughs> we can solve it that way. I see what you mean. Yeah, it's yeah. not it's not or, helping. Like, didn't she also have like we're building out today's rates so that people can have a second home thirty three percent of the time. Yeah, and possibly the I feel like didn't she also state possibly the wrong type, wrong product type mm-hmm. that in five ten years is not. Like there will be excessive demand supply of these homes. People aren't wanting those, that, that house. Yep. And that's what would be out there. Yeah. I'm interested to see what that so number shows for next year as well, though, um, for the second home stat solely because I believe at the end of this year is when it's supposed to get a little bit more difficult to purchase a second home for your down. There's going to be that extra fee though. tacked on. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I'm trying to we'll see what that, that even reads for next year. Good memory on that one. Yep. I'm like, oh yeah, we did talk about that. And it was, yeah. the article was like eight point font. So, you know, it was super accurate and, and really, really good news. <laughs> yeah. I remember that one. Okay. This week's question of the week has to do with photography content. So the question is, do you use internal talent 
talent, maybe in air quotes, uh, not necessarily super talented photographers, but people with phones in your organization who take pictures, do you um, have a consistent outside partner that helps you get your photos taken? Or do you have someone inside the organization whose full-time job is to help support uh, photography and video content? Or I guess we should offer a hybrid option uh, of that as well. But Drop into the Facebook group, answer that question of the week, and we will pull a random winner for a $50 Amazon gift card. Also, Bobby Carroll, you won the $200 gift card for the 200th episode. Nice. But you have to... Nice. You have to talk to me so I know where to send it. <laughs> I tagged him in the post. Still no response. So, Bobby, come get your 200 bucks. Or we're going to have to draw another name. And now everyone's Ooh. rooting for Bobby not to do it. Mm. So... We'll draw another name in a week <laughs> if Bobby doesn't claim his prize. Bobby, where are you? <laughs> <laughs> we'll find you. That'll do it for this week. For published articles, blog posts, videos, and more, check out deconvert.com. It's also the best way to find out how to connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and everywhere else we are online. See ya. See you next week. Bye, guys.